Welcome to Snap Sessions, an episodic podcast that looks at international artists and their creative pursuits, as well as at interesting articles and broadcasts across the political spectrum. My name's Doug Nunn. I am joined by techmeister Marshall Brown and voiceover colossus Ken Krause, who will do their best to keep me in check, and by our artist of the show. And now we present a special edition of Snap Sessions. In lieu of our normal format, we focus on the Climate Reality Leadership Conference, which took place at the L.A. Conference Center from August 28th to 30th, 2018. Snap Sessions' own Doug Nunn with his big stick was a participant, and he spoke with conference attendees from around the world. And now, the Climate Reality Leadership Conference. I am not a super outdoorsman. I love to take walks in the woods, I like to garden and swim in rivers, but I don't really like camping, backpacking, or getting targeted by mosquitoes around campfires. But I am, and always have been, an environmentalist, in the sense that I want to preserve the planet for future generations, keep it clean, as unpolluted as possible, and be as respectful of other species as we can possibly be. I want to leave a legacy for all the world's children. I'm kind of an armchair environmentalist, if I'm honest. I can't find the remote and I refuse to stand up! But I am an active one. I taught at Mendocino High School for some years. In 2007, the longtime eco-lit co-teacher of our School of Natural Resources, Sonar course, Bill Lemus, announced he would be retiring and the course would need a new lit comp teacher to team with their environmental science teacher, Robert Jamgoshin. They asked me to fill the slot. This was the proverbial tall order for a short guy. Bill was a mega outdoorsman, a future member of the California Environmental Hall of Fame and a brilliant teacher. Being asked to replace a green Hall of Famer with a guy who had trouble with mosquitoes? What could possibly be wrong with this picture? Well, I just loved being part of the sonar program. For the next 10 years, I taught the works of John Muir, Rachel Carson, Aldo Leopold, Al Gore, and a variety of field biologists, environmental scientists, and green activists. Students presented eco-current events every Monday, and we participated in the Marine Life Protection Area conferences, salmon population studies, and bird watching. We regularly worked on projects in the woods, on the beaches, and in the pygmy forest. I yearned for a way to express my political solidarity with the movement. When I saw Al Gore's An Inconvenient Sequel in the summer of 2017, I noticed at the end of the film, as the credits rolled, that he was soliciting trainees for his climate reality leadership project. So I applied, and on my second application, I made the cut. I was chosen to join Big Al in Los Angeles at the end of August 2018. I am now at the... Los Angeles Convention Center for the Climate Reality Leadership Conference. This is the Climate Reality Leadership Corps, led by former Vice President Al Gore. Um, I am going to be here for the next three days. There are approximately 2,300 people here to be trained to be climate change reality presenters across the world. I hear that there is over 40 countries represented. And um, once they got the computer glitches over and started a registration, people were just pouring in. So I'm here in this giant convention hall here, and I am ready and roaring to go. So it is now 9.20 on Tuesday morning, August 28th. A very exciting first day at the 39th Climate Reality Project Training Conference. I was one of 2,250 participants, as well as 120 mentors. In addition, there were presenters, poets, politician, and former vice president and Nobel laureate Al Gore. 
Gore made a very impressive, updated two-and-a-half-hour presentation of his famous Inconvenient Truth slideshow. Gore's presentation was fantastic. He worked to express three main ideas. Must we change? Can we change? And will we change? Frankly, the first part of the presentation was quite overwhelming. (gasps) As it was in An Inconvenient Truth. In the two-and-a-half-hour presentation, he probably devoted about 75% of it to a series of slides detailing the problems involved. How the science works. Science! How much CO2 is being trapped in our atmosphere. How it has increased historically. And how much it has especially increased over the last 30 years. Much of this audiences will recognize. 17 of the hottest 18 years have occurred since 2001. It's too darn hot. It's too darn hot. July of 2018 was the hottest month in California history, and most of the world has experienced record-setting temperatures in the past two years. From Asia to Africa to Europe, the Middle East and the Americas, not to mention the poles. Gore talked about how the jet stream has been disrupted, how the poles in Greenland are melting, and how extreme weather is transforming hurricanes, rainstorms, and droughts. The evidence is overwhelming and downright scary. But lest you think it's all bad news, Big Al suddenly changed direction and talked about all the countries and economies that have changed. Both wind and solar capacity has moved hugely in positive directions in the last 10 years, with worldwide wind capacity exceeding expected gigawattage by a factor of 18, and solar exceeding expectations by a factor of 98 times what we had in 2002. New electrical capacity in Europe is more than two-thirds renewable. China has prioritized more than 54% of its new capacity as renewable, and California will get 50% of its electricity from renewable sources by 2030. There is also excellent news in energy storage, super important for renewables. Numerous countries are planning complete fossil fuel phase-outs by 2040, and various auto manufacturers are planning to move to electric vehicles. There are far more jobs in solar and wind than in fossil fuels, and this is the definite trend for the future. And though Trump has vowed to pull us from the 2015 Paris Agreement, so we're getting out, he cannot legally do this until the day after the 2020 presidential election, when there is a strong chance he will be defeated. Gore ended his speech with a quote from Wallace Stevens. After the final no, there comes a yes. And on that yes, the world depends. Hi, I'm here at my table. We're famous Table 83. I'm here with Gary Sharlack from Marin County. Um, Go ahead and tell us a little bit about the reasons you're here. Give us a little background. Well, uh, I'm here to encourage uh, the climate change, to get involved in the climate change, uh, to kind of carry the message of sea level rise. In uh, about 15 years ago, rented a beautiful office in Sausalito, California. And the first winter, I saw part of the parking lot flood during a rainstorm in February. Second year, more of that lot flooded. And by the time we moved, because literally we were tired of being flooded, nine years later, it had reached the inside of our office. And I realized we have a problem. And the problem just wasn't within our community, it was global. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, you are you are originally, uh, you have been for years in movies and television as a sound man, right? Correct. And um, you worked with 60 Minutes and some other programs. And But now you're really, you're borderline retirement or you've crossed over the line. You're, are, you're de- are you dedicating part of your retirement then to working on this particular problem? Well, I've, I actually, I've... Uh Went into partnerships with uh, April Phillips. We have a firm, the Landscape Architecture and Planning, and I was involved with that before I retired. And uh, now that I've retired from the motion picture and television industry, uh, I've devoted all of my resources to that firm and to this problem of sustainability, climate change, and climate reality. Yes. Hi there, Doug. Uh, I'm, as, as you said, I'm April Phillips. I am the founder of April Phillips Design Works. We are a sustainable landscape architecture and urban planning firm um, in the Bay Area. And our focus is really on trying to integrate science with art. And we try to do things as sustainable as possible in terms of dealing with all of the various aspects of, of climate change and policies and codes and try to do it in such a way that we really create beauty as well as solve solve environmental issues. Um, the big, biggest challenges though are that people have a tendency to not understand you know, the, the science and so how we do it, whether we do it stealthily or whether we do it kind of more openly really depends on how much we can educate as we go. So our biggest goal now is to talk more about climate change and try to under- and give people an understanding of the value of what a greener building, a greener landscape does for their life and for their even their investment values. And so we're starting to learn how to t- tie it to all of the things that really trigger people's decisions beyond that it looks good, feels good, and is healthier for them. You had mentioned just before I, I let you go, you had mentioned and shown us some beautiful animations of some of the work you've done. I wondered if you could steer me to that website. Yes. Uh, one of the biggest challenges in, in, in our area is sea level rise. So one of our projects is Alameda Waterfront Park, and it's on our website, www.apdw.com, on our digital lab page, where we have some, some animations of what sea level rise actually looks like. Uh, including storm tides and how we're actually experiencing it now. Uh, with the storms today and the extreme climate, um, we don't have to wait to see climate change. We are experiencing it now. So these videos are a good indication of what, what's really happening and what it's going to look like in another 20 to 30 years. So people can actually visually see it. Well, thank you very much, April, and keep up the good work. Uh, thank you, Doug. Thank you. Day two may have been equally as powerfully fascinating as day one. Day two is like the illegitimate child of a really interesting TED Talk. And a super challenging philosophy of science seminar. I'm at day two of the Climate Reality Project Conference. And I'm walking out for a group photo in front of the Los Angeles Convention Center. You can hear the hubbub. The raging hubbub of 2,250 delegates, 120 mentors, various politicians, and Al Gore.
We heard today from Al Gore that California State SB 100, a bill aimed to get California power emissions carbon-free by 2045, had passed. Yesterday, Gore had asked for us to contact the four holdout state Senate Democrats, and apparently the voice of 2,200 people overwhelmed their doubts. Talk about power of the people in a community. Good lesson for community groups and the power of activism, from postcard writing to making last-minute phone calls. Even former Governor Schwarzenegger I'll be back. weighed in with a full-page ad in the L.A. Times, which may have helped. Apparently, the aging muscle man still has some clout. There was a variety of highlights, and the day started with a spirited two-hour, three-person panel on the climate crisis and its solution with Don Henry, an Australian professor of environmental public policy, Ver Abhadran Ramanathan, a professor of atmospheric and climate sciences at Scripps, University of California at San Diego, and the big guy himself, Al Gore. Gore was particularly impressive. The old veep really knows his stuff. The panel responded to questions on a variety of climate subjects, from the horrors of CO2 and methane... (laughs) to how climate change has affected the oceans, to the pernicious influence of fossil fuel companies in politics, to working with the Poor People's Project to alleviate environmental racism. Gore, Henry, and Ramanathan made the point that American democracy has been hacked by big money, lobbyists, and corporations. Gore said that when he first ran for Congress in the 70s, there was no such amount of money. Electronic broadcasting has meant there are gatekeepers, mostly corporate, at every point in the process. Fossil fuel companies are using the same lobbyists and publicists as the tobacco companies did to prevent regulation from the 1960s through the 90s. Too many candidates are begging lobbyists for money. Please, sir. I want some more. Environmental legislation, at least the Republican version, is often literally written by lobbyists. One of the finest things about this conference is getting to know people from around the world. There are 40 nations represented among the 2,250 trainees. I talked to two of them, a mining engineer from the Congo, Estamadi, and an environmental scientist from Ghana, Michael Dade. Hi, I'm here uh, in the main hall with Esther. Yes. And Esther, you're from the Congo, right? Yes, from the Congo, Democratic Republic. Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is a huge country in the middle of Africa, famous for everything from mountain gorillas to mining extraction. And in fact, you're from Katanga province. Yes, I'm from Katanga province, which is the the mining province of of the country. The mining problems of the country, and what is mostly mined, I've read a little about gold and zinc. Yes. And there's other things. Go yes. ahead. Yes, coal, zinc, mainly in Katanga. Uh, should I talk only about Katanga? No, you go ahead. You talk about Congo as okay, a whole. Okay, okay. Yeah. For example, in the, the eastern part, Kivu and all that, you have gold as well, gold mining. Uh, in other provinces like Kasai, you have uh, you have diamonds. There's so many minerals in Congo. There's petrol, there's diamond, there's coal, there's zinc, there is uranium, yeah. there is oil. There's even oil. Right. Yes. In the um, that side is called uh, Bakongo. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I'm from Katanga. Right. Yeah, the western part. And what do you do for a living back in Katanga, Esther? Okay. Yes. I work for a, a, a mining company called uh, Congo Mining Solution where I'm a development manager. Yeah. Oh. So my job, my role is to come up with uh, new ideas, new technologies, 
new visions to help the company uh, in better our services and also increase the revenues. I see. Yes. So what brought you now to the climate conference? Uh, yes. What's brought me here is that we are currently working on uh, a project which is a little bit different, you know, from the one we, we work on. This one is more uh, environmental. Living in a mining company, we're sitting there and watching the, our home, our region, literally being destroyed by all the mining work that is going on and apparently people not to seem to care. So we just came up with this idea of uh, bringing together those mining firms, let's say once a month or twice a month, to kind of discuss new techniques, you know, uh, new mining techniques to kind of lower or reduce the bad effect of mining on the on the region. So that's why I was sent here to kind of learn, which I'm doing. Yesterday I learned so, so, so much. There were so many things I didn't know. And I think when I go back, I'll start from there. You okay, know, great. take the slides, try to customize it, you know, yes. and apply it to the, 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 the local issues that we have. and see what um, what it can give us as a result. Well, that's great, Esther. Yes. Um, I'm just curious because I know people in Africa often speak many languages. Yes. How many languages do you speak? I speak, uh, I would say I speak four languages. Wow. French is my first language. Okay. Uh, there's Lingala, mm -hmm. Swahili, Wow. Yeah, and English. Wow, that's yes. very impressive. Good. Yes. And what is your, uh, you said you were uh, working for the mining company and very... What were you trained to do? Were you trained as an engineer or? Yes. I see. Uh -huh. Yes. In, uh, actually, I studied in South Africa. Oh, wow. Yes, in uh, the University of Pretoria. I studied mining engineering. Wow. Yes, but I, I've never been in the, you know, I've never been in the, how do you call it, in the career. Sure, you know, yeah. Yeah, I've never been there. I just wanted to shift a little bit to the management part of Great. it. Great. Yes. Good. Well, one last question then, Esther. Do you think now that you've come here that you have a good chance at making a difference for your company and for your country and for Katanga province? Yes, I, I, I think so, and I hope so, you know, because the problem with Africa, the main problem in Africa is the governance, yeah. you know. We don't really have a responsible uh, government. In fights like this, I just wish that the government could help us to put some, you know, uh, law enforcement, to put some regulations, you know, for all those uh, firms to follow. But let's see, <laughs> let's hope for the best. We will try. It's better to do something to try than not, uh, not try anything. So I hope that it will work. That's a wonderfully positive note to end on. Yes. Esther, I'm Doug Nunn. It is a pleasure to meet Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank pleasure you. To meet you too. Merci. Merci. <laughs> Hi, I'm here with Michael Dade. Uh, Michael is uh, an environmental scientist from Ghana, and he's come all the way here to the Climate Change Conference. And uh, you work as an environmental scientist. What were some of your hopes when you came here then, Michael? Yes, I was hoping that I will build capacity to be able to go back to Ghana and communicate the climate change crisis to them. That climate crisis is real. We need to wake up to it and act, and act fast now. And in Ghana, as an environmental scientist, do you teach or do you work as a regular job in Accra? Or what is your job back there? Well, I, I, 
I work as a regulator in my organization. We, my organization generates power. And so my work to ensure that I safeguard the environment and then the health of those who are affected with the power generation in Ghana. That is what I do. Great, great. And when you get back, do you feel like you can have an influence on people? Do you feel that you'll be able to... Uh, the government there right now is democratic, right? Yes. Yes. So, it is. Yes, yes, it, it is. is. So regulation is accepted. So what you're, the kind of work you're doing. Yes, I, I believe we are committed to the Paris Agreement. Excellent. Great. Both at government levels yeah. and at corporate levels as well. Great. That is why my company, for example, the Volta River Authority, we want to scale up uh, the renewable energy aspects of our power generation. And so up to about 10%. So when I go to Ghana, my focus will be right from the communities to the corporate organizations as well as to the government level to influence policy decision making. And that will be what I will be fighting for. Excellent. Michael, it is a pleasure to know you. My name is Doug Nunn, and I wish you totally good luck when you get back to Ghana. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you, Michael. A keynote address was added on the second morning by Eric Garcetti, mayor of L.A. He talked about all the work his city is doing to make changes towards sustainability, and perhaps just as importantly, a quick lesson on how most effectively to influence politicians. Following this, we went to breakout sessions on fighting for healthy communities and what's next, take action and create change. After lunch, we had some brilliant panel discussions, starting off with firefighters on the climate front line with Gore as interviewer. Then Al had the brilliant Hal Harvey on how to talk about getting real about rapid carbonization and imagining a zero-carbon future. Harvey emphasized the importance of studious argumentation in dealing with corporate opponents. He emphasized logos, logical reasoning, and ethos, ethical truth, in combination with pathos, passion. This was followed by a quartet talking about clean transportation, moving transportation beyond carbon, a seminar about how California is revamping its approach to clean transportation and urban and economic development. By the time the band Rua hit the stage at 5.30, my head was spinning with visions of carbon-free windmills and plastic-free oceans. And finally, I was especially impressed that Jerry Brown in California will be hosting the Global Climate Action Summit, September 12th to 15th in San Francisco. This is the summit that would be hosted in Washington, D.C. if we had a national government that cared about Mother Earth. Talking about global warming being the biggest problem facing this country is insane. It will include leaders from around the globe. One of the things that has delighted me most is how a lot of California investment money is going green. What follows are interviews with business professor from Humboldt State, Kate Lancaster, investor Bill Nolan, and solar entrepreneur David Coonhart. So this is Kate Lancaster. She's a professor of accounting and sustainable business at Humboldt State University in Arcata, California. Kate, it's great to have you. What got you inspired to come down to this conference? 
So sustainability has been a long interest of mine. I probably developed it when I was a child. And as I grew older, I started realizing that if we don't change the way that we are interacting with and connecting with the natural environment, that we're not going to be around as a species. And so it's a it's a, it's a long-lived passion for me. Um, I, I want to be able to share this, this planet and, sh and pass it on to future generations. Yeah, definitely. Me too. Um, now, you mentioned the business about sustainable business. Now, normally I don't think there'd be a chair of sustainable business at a university, but there is one at Humboldt. How did that come about? There's not a chair. I'm not okay. a chair. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. but, but what attracted to me to, to Humboldt State was the they were starting an MBA program with a, an emphasis of strategic Great. sustainability. Great. And it felt like, I felt like the position had been made for me or written for me. Yeah. My, I was, prior to that, I was teaching down at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and I was also teaching up at an institution in, on Bainbridge Island. Uh, it used to be called uh, Bainbridge Graduate Institute, then it became Pinchot, and then it's now part of Presidio Graduate School. So I, I, I was grounded in um, uh, traditional business down at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and then I had that my passion was being fueled by Bainbridge Graduate Institute, and Humboldt State seemed like the place to blend the two. And what I have found is that the students, both at the undergrad as well as grad level, that are that in general are, t are attracted to Humboldt State, are really interested in making the world a better place. So yeah. it was a very good fit. So you're getting a lot of that. You're getting a lot of input from students. And then do you see just basically continuing on with that when you get back to HSU? Absolutely. Supporting my students in achieving their dreams is one of my one of my primary goals. I'm also interested in trying to uh, extend this and see how can I identify an individual that might not really be interested in sustainability, but then help to nurture and mentor that individual to... Uh, and I also uh, want to focus on entrepreneurs, so young adults that maybe don't have the, the wherewithal or the, the, the broader knowledge on how they can bring their idea to fruition, and specifically those ideas that are focused on sustainability issues. Well, I wish you the best of luck, Kate. I think it's a wonderful thing you're doing, more sustainable business practices and more students who want to push them in that direction. Thanks a lot, Kate Lancaster. Thank you. You do a great job. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Hi, I'm here with Bill Nolan. Bill is a, an entrepreneur. He's been fundraising for years in the Bay Area. You're from San Francisco? Right. Okay. And uh, Bill is now moving in the direction of being a fundraiser for environmental causes. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you've been doing and the direction you're heading now. Sure. Thanks, Doug, for having me. Um, yeah, for 25 years, I've been focused on fundraising for large investment organizations, uh, organizations that invest in venture capital or invest in public equities. And my value proposition to investors has always been the same and has always uh, revolved around the uh, risk-adjusted return profile that we could deliver. Um, and after 25 years, uh, I came to the conclusion that being uh, in a business where our pure focus was on the bottom line and nothing else, wasn't fulfilling. Um, and as a uh, resident of the beautiful state of California, as a father of three boys, as a husband, um, as a uh, as someone who has uh, concerns that our environment, uh, this wonderful environment we live in, isn't uh, isn't going to be around forever if we don't uh, take note and and, and take action. Um, it became apparent to me that I needed to uh, I needed to make a career shift and incorporate. Um, my, my mission, uh, environmental uh, awareness and uh, sustainability into my, uh, into my role uh, as, a, as an employee, as a, as a worker. And so 
um, I've uh, I've come to the conclusion that that uh, where I could really add value in the environmental um, cause that we're all here to talk about today is in helping large pools of capital understand that sustainability and profitability are not mutually exclusive, but in fact go hand in hand. And uh, you know, no better example than Al Gore and his generation investment management, um, the fact that they've raised $20 billion in 13 years and have outperformed uh, all broad equity market indices over that period suggests that they're doing something right and that sustainability as a core um, uh, a core mandate in your investment strategy is additive and not detracting uh, from the investment uh, return. And, and so uh, as, I look, as I look ahead, my goal is to try to find other organizations that are like-minded uh, and make sustainability a core part of their investment mandate and help them uh, meet uh, like-minded investors. Uh, Bill, I think it's great. I'm super happy you're here. It's a pleasure to say, share the same table with you. And actually, it's people like you, I think, are going to make a huge difference. So, Thanks, Doug. Well, I, I, it's, a, it's a, a tribute to you, too, that you're willing to get the word out through, uh, through this podcast. And uh, thanks a lot for including me. Thank you, Bill. All Cheers. right, buddy. Yep. Hi, I'm here with David Kunhart, who, Kunhart, who is my mentor here at the um, Climate Reality Project Conference. And um, David, actually, he's from Marin, so we're sort of neighbors. And uh, David actually did his first climate training about a year and a half ago yeah, or so? In March of 2017 in okay. Denver. Great. And Denver, so that got you inspired. And, it did. And which directions did but it push you I, in? I have to say that um, I had been wanting to do that training for a few years. I first was inspired really in 2006 when I read An Inconvenient Truth, and 2007 when I read Earth in the Balance and met Al Gore. And right. uh, I resolved at that point that I had a good 10 years in me to devote to things that would address climate change directly. And so I told him uh, and in August of 2007 that I was going to take my structured finance skills and turn it into structured finance for solar energy. And that's what I've been doing for the last 11 years. Do you have a solar energy company? Yes. Uh, we founded after uh, let's say about five and a half years with a small leading to a large solar company by others. Uh, I and four others founded a new benefit company. Uh, benefit Corp is a for-profit company that ha lives by a mission. Our mission to save public benefit organizations money as they become climate leaders and, and economic, I mean uh, environmental and economic leaders both at the same time. And we've done that for several school districts and municipalities. But that's not been enough for me because uh, solar energy kind of bends the curve down, but it doesn't draw it down. And drawing it down takes a lot more aggressive action on a lot more fronts, particularly, I would say, in transportation. And, uh, and my, my big enthusiasm politically is to have a national carbon tax passed. My big enthusiasm locally is to see if I can walk the walk uh, and not just talk about what we can do very locally. A hundred different actions by uh, 10,000 people in our little community. And so this has pushed you in a direction to get involved in local politics. Yes. In fact, as a matter of fact, it was when I was sitting in the Citizens Climate Lobby meet, a regional meeting in Northern California in January 
when the leader of that organization said, uh, was quoting uh, a couple of other people and saying, you know, monarchies have great museums and great art. Democracies have artists and thinkers who go and influence one another and put their art to work in improving uh, the community and in saving democracy. And we need to save democracy. So to me, it's all about uh, responding to events around us and saving democracy on the one hand and seeing if we can realize real climate goals uh, vividly on the other. It's a big challenge. So this got you to actually run for, yes, so I understand, I, part I of the city council. Yes, I uh, made that. Yes, we actually call it a town council. Okay. We're 9,800 souls, 6,200 voters. Uh, we, um, I, I resolved right then and there in January to run. And by June 5th, we had the election. And I, uh, there were four of us running for three slots. And I edged out uh, another individual and, and won a seat. And so we've already had uh, some conversation about what we're going to do uh, on climate change adaptation and mitigation. You know, in the long run, we also have to do restoration. Right. That is a goal that we will all share. And I must say, I have to tell you, you are a nice mentor, you are a fun mentor, you are a helpful mentor. Thank you. And you've got a sense of humor, which is a <laughs> wonderful thing. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely necessary to maintain a sense of humor. I mean, people get quite anxious and quite depressed. They see all the wildfires, they hear about red tide, they hear about Arctic melting and melting and so forth. And they get very anxious and sometimes depressed. I always say the best antidote to that is action. Step forward, step up, and and at the same time, you gotta maintain a sense of humor, right? right. You just have to. Well, it's a pleasure, David. I Thank look you. forward to many more times together after the conference. I, I hope so. Thank, I, th I hope so. Thank, Thank you. you very much, David. I am really learning a lot. Everybody here is whip smart. Tomorrow, Gore gives his quick 10-minute get-their-attention-right-now version of his slideshow. I really look forward to it. Day three. Nana Furman was MC today. Small, spunky, and an activist from Indonesia, where she got her mosque to go solar. Amazing. Okay, I admit it. Three days of intensive talks on climate change was challenging, but I was hugely inspired that things will finally start moving in a positive direction, away from our present government. <coughs> Today was our third and final day at the L.A. Convention Center, insulated from Orange Voldemort's nastiness. Once again, Al Gore gave it 100% and hustled like a rookie. And Al had another excellent supporting cast. Climate reality has a man to play conciliori of sorts to Al Gore's founder chairman role for the organization, and that is President CEO Ken Berlin, who gave us a blow-by-blow -blow on the realities of climate reality's strategy in a changing political landscape. Berlin was sobering about the Trump administration, but reminded us that in poll after poll, 75 to 77 percent of Americans want action on climate change. He advocated an ongoing critical mass of activists and urged people to register and motivate voters. Once again, the power of the postcard was lauded. Berlin also talked over the realities of the Paris Climate Accords and how it will be difficult to unlock it until the week after the 2020 election. It may quickly be righted in a new administration. Gore then entered and blasted through his famed 10-minute quickie version, also known as climate change for people with shorter attention spans. Huh? He talked about how to customize our versions of the slideshow. I can hardly wait to add some cartoons and historical photos. 
Hi, I'm uh, here with Darcy Robbins. Um, she is from Northern California. She's from McKinleyville, which is up in Humboldt County, right? Yes. And uh, she is a college counselor at Arcata High School, which is right by where Humboldt State is. And uh, Darcy's at my table. We're a NorCal table. Um, Mendocino, Humboldt, Marin counties, and so forth. Darcy, what brought you here to the um, climate conference? Uh, well, a lot of students come into the Career and College Center at Arcata High School, uh, and they want to explore different majors. And I was seeing uh, many, many students up in Humboldt who are interested in environmental science, environmental engineering, environmental studies. And so I thought maybe I should learn more about the subject and try to make some connections that students could maybe take advantage of. And have you been picking up a lot here at the convention, Do you at the conference? Do you feel like you've got a lot to go back with? Oh, totally, yes. And um, I've been amazed at how involved um, Vice President Gore has been. Um, it's He's been up there all three days. Um, we can't keep him off the stage, yes, can it's, we? Yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been amazing, yes. Yeah. I, I actually wish I brought students here. Um, but uh, maybe next time. Yeah, you know, that's an amazing thing. I was involved in an environmental science class for 10 years at Mendocino High School, and it feels to me like this would be great if this was filled with students. Yes. There's 2,250 mm -hmm. of us here. It seems like it would be outstanding if there was half of us, was half of them were students. They could do a climate reality summit just for schools, yeah. you know, to come down. And it seems like a lot of them are um, extremely passionate about it. Do you get that feeling oh back my, at Arcata yes. High? Oh, my goodness. We have um, a lot of nature up there with the redwood trees and the oceans and rivers. And um, so the students, they grow up with nature. They, the, uh, they're very concerned about what's going on in the environment. And so, yes, it's, it's uh, something that they want to spend their lives uh, working to protect the planet. Hi, I'm here with Mary Pafford. Mary is a yoga instructor who lives in Yorkville, California. She's originally from Liverpool, England. She does yoga work uh, in, at, in her home in Mendocino County, across the U.S. and internationally as well. And um, I just want to ask you, uh, Mary, what brought you here and what's, what's getting your juices going? Well, um, I live on a collective apple farm in Yorkville and I've always been interested. One of the reasons I came here over 30 years ago was because I was so impressed by the recycling program and the conversation about the environment. Of course, things have changed since those, those years, um, but I still have that interest. You know, we've been off the grid for over 40 years, our particular community. Really? Off the grid for 40 years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, first it was car batteries. Now we can run anything on our systems. So so it's a pretty sophisticated array of panels and batteries, etc. Um, and the reason I'm here, I joined a little climate group in, in Sonoma, in Santa Rosa, a climate fellowship connected to climate protection. Um, the people who evolved the Sonoma Clean Power. And I really enjoyed getting to know those people. Um, and I felt like I needed more information. You know, I just needed injection of up-to-date information because I'm not a scientist. I'm not, a, you know, a classic environmentalist. And I'm trying to get more connection with my community because my sense is as I train teachers across the country and I work a lot in Latin America, Central America, Cuba specifically. Oh right, you work in Cuba, you do yoga teaching in Cuba. Yeah, and I'm, I'm part of a 20-year you know, project there helping the Cubans and supporting their community there and they have a lot of really interesting ecological projects there. So 
Um, my feeling is that I need better, better tools to communicate with my yoga community, who are obviously interested, but they seem to stop their interest of the planet beyond the realms of their body and their their psyche. Sometimes, you know, and 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 so my friends who are apathetic or just like, oh, it's too much. So. I wanted to get better tools on that and also to meet more people. I really wanted to meet more internationals. I've met a few Latinos here um, and create connections because we've got a very exciting project coming up in February in Cuba where we're bringing a bunch of yoga people there and we're going to try and end it, the, the, the five days we're there, with um, different in environmental groups and projects talking about how climate and working together internationally can solve some of the internal blockades and the blockade between the U.S. and Cuba. On morning number three, Gore hosted a four-person seminar on climate change on camera. Participants were Alan Horn from Disney, Bonnie Cohen, producer-director of An Inconvenient Sequel, Jonathan Scott, TV co-host of The Property Brothers, and Dean Devlin, who made Who Killed the Electric Car? In addition to documentaries, sci-fi is a consensus good way to get climate immediacy across. A new subset is Cli-Fi, climate-related science fiction. As I mentioned earlier, one of the more exciting things about the conference was meeting people from around the world. One of the most passionate was Oscar Moreno Fosado, originally of Veracruz, Mexico, now living in Sacramento. Hi, I'm here with Oscar Moreno Fosado, and um, Oscar is originally from Veracruz in Mexico, and he now lives in Sacramento. And what brought you here to the uh, climate change uh, conference, Oscar? Well, first of all, thank you, Doug, for the interview. Yeah. Uh, so first, in Sacramento, um, we arrived there around eight months uh, eight months ago. Um, to be honest, uh, running away from the violence that my country is living right now. Um, I just had a kid. I already have a five-year-old daughter, so that's pretty much part of our decision. And we were thinking to move here. Uh, mainly, well, my wife is an American citizen, so we wanted to leave behind everything in Mexico and forget about it, including uh, foundation that we have. It's been in my family for 17 years now, and we take care of land in Campeche, in the state of Campeche. And it got to a point that they were gonna sell the land, but to be honest, that kind of hit me once I found a, bu a buyer. So now uh, I don't wanna sell, I really wanna do something about it. I keep going with the foundation, just not throw it away because I mean, it's like the legacy that my family has. And uh, I wanna, I came here to the reality, um, the climate reality project to get inspired and get the tools that I need to run this foundation, you know, to be now the representation of what we have there and to make something about it and don't just let it die as, as a consequence of the violence that Mexico is going through. That's great, Oscar. Um, so at this point, you'll be going out and doing trainings. Are you going to be training on both sides of the border then? Definitely. I'm going to now, uh, I'm going to take this uh, and do it in Spanish, of course, and also taking advantage of, I mean, I also speak a bit of English. You speak great <laughs> English. So I'm also planning to do it in English. And That's great. I wondered if you could give perhaps one 
sentence, one inspirational sentence to people in Espanol about the climate? Uh, simplemente no dejen que... So, let me see. Uh, es, simplemente uh, hay que ver la realidad. Es muy sencillo de identificar una mentira de una verdad. Este... Sigan simplemente lo que más les conviene a sus hijos. Es, es la inspiración que necesitamos, simplemente ver a nuestros hijos para seguir adelante y hacer lo mejor por ellos, que es cuidar nuestro planeta. Muchas gracias, Oscar. Muchas gracias, Doc. Later on in the morning of day three, we had one of the most entertaining and thought-provoking presentations of the entire conference, ensuring environmental equity. This featured Catherine Coleman Flowers, Mark Lopez, Emmy Wang, Environmental Justice Movement, Mustafa Santiago Ali, formerly of the EPA, now of the Hip Hop Caucus. Mustafa is a monster speaker. And Naleli Kobo, who is an activist still in high school. A major theme of the conference was environmental justice and the prevalence of poisonous factories and refineries in our poor neighborhoods. Mustafa, who was a crack-up, reminded us of the James Baldwin quote, If I love you, I must make you conscious of the things you don't see. And the panel pointed out our situation is not normal. We are getting fucked over. But with Naleli, a bright 17-year-old on the panel, they were animated with determination, and they sure know how to handle social media. A very impressive group. As the conference was coming to an end, I met a variety of people pushing ideas and books, most of which I sympathized with. I talked to a young politician from Ventura, Spencer Norin, who is avidly pushing a new energy policy outlined in a book called The National Modernization Act by a guy named Sage Rainbow. Then suddenly I was approached by an author, Marcus Thorndike, who had just finished a new book. Leap, The Case for the Country of Earth. His book will be coming out on Earth Day 2019. Here now their thoughts. Hi, I'm here with Spencer Norin, and Spencer's running for Ventura City Council. He's a green candidate, and he has lots of ideas about energy in the future. Uh, Spencer, what would you talk about, uh, what would be something you'd want people to grasp in your campaign? Yeah, what I want people to grasp in my campaign is to be proactive about the problems and the reality that face us with our current global condition. We all know about the Thomas fire that swept through the backside of our hillside from Santa Paula to Ventura, up the whole coast, to be the largest California fire to date quickly passed a month later. So we all know how much California fires affect us. And what is it about? It's about land management. As the land continues to dry and to change its landscape, what are we doing as the people to protect our hillsides right behind us to avoid and prevent hopefully more uh, forest fires in the future? We know it's going to continue to get dry at the moment. We hopefully it changes, but we don't know that. How do we manage holistically the land so the habitat can stay whole at the same time we can protect our residents that live so close to these fires. Okay, that's great, Spencer. I got one other question. You just handed me a book, yeah. and I wondered if you could do a quick uh, thing about yeah. why you handed me that book. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited to spread an act called the National Modernization Act. It's about bringing awareness to and open the light to Americans that we need to quickly modernize America. And where it starts off is a bipartisan idea to, infra to redo infrastructure and to create new roadways, bridges, and tunnels, which we know that we all need. And within that is then creating job retraining and job creation 
innovation through green jobs and producing this and then also bringing that money through a bond structure into reducing fossil fuels. And so it's a really bipartisan idea that goes full circle. Doug, I'm looking forward to you reading the book, getting back to us. It's the National Modernization Act, read by Sage Rainbow, and I look forward to you reading it. Thank you very much, Spencer. It's been a pleasure. Good luck in your campaign. Great seeing you. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm uh, back again, this time with Marcus Thorndike, and Marcus has just written a brand new book called Leap, The Case for the Country of Earth. And um, Marcus, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. I'd be honored to, Doug. And it's we're here at the end of the Climate Reality Leadership Training Corps program uh, here in Los Angeles on August 30th, 2018. It's uh, been really exciting to be here. I know you've been training yourself as a climate reality leader myself uh, as well, Doug. Enjoying so it's been, it, definitely. So we, we are now fellow uh, climate reality leaders who have been trained, and that's really exciting. Uh, and I want to say about LEAP that uh, LEAP is a proposal for us to create a new country together, a country that we are all dual citizens of already. Notice I said dual citizen. We're not trying to get rid of the other countries. This is an addition, not a replacement. Uh, it's also a country where we could create a direct democracy together, where we can all vote directly on the issues that we care about as fellow citizens of the entire planet. It's an opportunity for us all to come together as a species to solve the big problems problems of our time. Uh, and I'll say that uh, LEAP is due to come out in April uh, of uh, 2018 on Earth Day, which is April 22nd, 2018. 2019, actually. 2019. Oh, my goodness. Great. I got the year wrong. Okay, good. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, absolutely. I am here to support you, brother. <laughs> Thanks for the correction. Yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you. And what I, what I did want to say in 2018, though, is right now, um, and I believe this will be coming out pretty soon, uh, so uh, you can go to LEAP. Dot earth where you can order a review copy at no charge. I will send you that copy this fall where you can read Leap on your own as long as you agree to uh, sign up on Amazon and buy a copy of the book when, it, when it's due to come out and then provide an honest review of it uh, on Earth Day. Hey, that's wonderful. I love leap.earth. I love that dot earth. Thank so you. Yeah, isn't it great? So, well, I uh, want to salute you, Marcus, fellow Earthling. I wish you well. Good you. luck to leap. Thanks, Doug. Thank All you. Right, there was one more guy I wanted to talk to, climate artist Carter Brooks. I had been impressed by the slowly melting giant ice cubes which greeted us each day as we entered the conference center, and I wanted to track down the artist who was responsible before I left. Okay, I'm here with uh, artist Carter Brooks. Carter's from San Francisco. He was actually at Al Gore's first training, 2006, right? 2006. Back in, in the, Nashville. In the in the, the barn near, or was it in Nashville? It was in Nashville. Uh, we had a, a reception at Al Gore's house as an opening reception where he uh, labeled us the cavalry. He sort of made a quip about, I've been waiting for the cavalry to arrive. And, uh, and then we did the first day of training out at, out, at, out at the barn in Carthage. Uh, he started down by the river where he uh, did his uh, little introduction of an inter uh, from an inconvenient truth. And so we really got the full uh, immersion into his personal space. And uh, it was really very, 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 very special experience. And, and, and how, did you, how did, did you apply? Did you know Gore? And how did you get him into it? I, uh, I it, in a sense, it was a little bit of a return of a favor. I own climatecrisis.com. 
Common. I had as a favor forwarded climatecrisis.com to climatecrisis.net. And through some of the relationships I made through that, I think that's how I got selected. But, you know, I'm, it's hard to say. I, I There was a website to f- fill out a form. I fill it out, and the rest is history. Well, that's a wonderful strategy to get involved. I think that's great. Now, I also want to say that I was very impressed when I walked in, there was all these big cubes of ice or globs of ice that were melting. And I found out soon thereafter that this was some of the climate art of this Carter Brooks guy. I wonder if you could talk to a little bit about the climate art you're doing. So I call myself an artist and philosopher of climate art, and I have made a made an aesthetic out of ice. I think ice is the obvious aesthetic for our age. Um, and it's both a, a spiritual thing and, a, and, and just a simply fun thing. It grew out of realizing back way back around around 2000 around the turn of the millennium there was a paper that said that the ice cap was going to melt in 70 years and there was my daughter a toddler even crawling playing with my grandmother and it hit me if my daughter lives to be a grandmother she's going to see the ice cap melt now that's not just a geologic formation that's a geologic feature of the planet and uh, and a pretty important one too because of course it reflects a lot of light um so i have devoted the rest of my career to helping prepare us for that psychologically spiritually or at, at the rest so ice is uh this is not to mention the glaciers and the and the mountain glaciers of the world uh and the rest uh so while we we're worrying about seeing how we can stop the ice from melting. I think we should be witnessing the ice while it's still here because it's not going to be here that much longer. I also believe then that the ice should be witnessing us while we're having this conversation. So there's a lot wrapped up to it, but the funnest part is that it just is cool. People is, love it. It is totally cool. I have to tell you folks, if you have a chance to look up Carter Brooks, and do you have a website that you can I, I do. I have a carterbrooks.com. I also have a Carter Brooks Artist Facebook page. Um, and uh, there's blogs, some pictures there, and I'm, you know, obviously constantly needing to improve it. But, yes. Yeah. Oh, and I, Carter Brooks at Twitter. Okay. I recommend, ladies and gentlemen, go find some of Carter Brooks's work. You'll enjoy it. And also, if you have a chance to see it in person, watching the ice slowly melt, it's both sad, it tugs at your soul, but it's also beautiful. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Carter. Pleasure. Thank you, Doug. Such a pleasure. Mid-afternoon on Thursday, we were speechified one more time by Al Gore and given little green circle pins by the Climate Reality Project, meant to symbolize our connection with the planet. At this point, we open the Gore slideshow and start presenting to as many people and groups as possible. It's our turn to make a difference, to join the 17,000 other Climate Reality trainees, and to work to overcome apathy and short-sightedness. I look forward to putting up my shingle and talking to fellow citizens and friends. And I look forward to making a difference for Mother Earth, mosquitoes and all. Thanks for listening to Snap Sessions. I want to thank our tech meister, Marshall Downtown Brown, who makes it all sound better. And thanks to our voiceover talents, Christine Samus, and all-around jack-of-all-trades, Ken Krause. Don't be an airhead. Get out there and do something creative. Dabble in something that inspires you. Read something challenging. Expand your perspective. Our aim is to give you an international outlook on the arts and a critical look at world politics. Salute the power of creativity. Foster international solidarity. Make Mother Earth great again.
but I don't really like camping, backpacking, or getting. Excuse me, I had to. I had to. Oh, sorry, I was waiting. Sorry, Marsh. Okay. <laughs>